Hey, this is Pastor Sam, and thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc. We're in the middle of a series we're calling Shalom. Shalom. And if you haven't been here um, uh, last week when Sam opened us up, or uh, perhaps you weren't here um, back in December when we talked about this during Christmas, but shalom is a Hebrew word that is most often translated into English as peace. But the word shalom in Hebrew means so much more than just peace. It means completeness. It means wholeness. It means just, just being the way things should be. Things being the way they should be, the way they were created to be. That's, that's really what shalom means. And so we're talking about this concept of God bringing shalom and God restoring shalom to his creation. And, and we're talking about it in four different um, concepts, being reconciled or being restored uh, to God, being reconciled and restored to ourselves, being reconciled and restored to each other, and being reconciled and restored to God's creation. Now, if you've been following along, and and Sam kicked us off last week talking about being reconciled to God, and that's a very, very common concept in the church. And of course, that's that's probably something you've heard before, talking about being reconciled to God. I mean, that that very quote is in Scripture. Um, But if you've been paying attention and you've been listening to how Sam's been describing those four things, you probably heard that whole idea of being reconciled to yourself, and you probably went, huh. What's that supposed to mean? I mean, being reconciled to myself. I mean, does that mean we have multiple personality disorder or something and we're (laughs) fighting with ourselves? What does it mean to be reconciled to ourselves? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning a little bit. And I'm going to be a little transparent this morning because the reality is, is, is we do. We are in conflict with ourselves pretty much all the time. Most of us are. And I've experienced this personally all my life. I have, I have some of you may um, identify with this, but I'm someone who has struggled with self-esteem and self-identity issues my entire life. I mean, from, from as early as I can remember, I've struggled with those issues. I've had deep struggles with those issues and I've struggled with clinical depression. And I've been through therapy and I've dealt with those issues. And I know what it's like to have those inner conflicts, to have the voices inside of your head telling you, you suck, you're awful, you're worthless. And I'm not the only one who experiences that. I know I'm not. Because my wife's a psychologist and she deals with people like that, that have these problems all day long and she comes home and tells me the stories. So I know I'm not alone. One of the things when, when you struggle with depression and you struggle with some of these issues is, is the first thing you feel like is you are alone. You are the only one who experiences this. And it's not true. And if you're someone who experiences depression and deals with those sorts of things, you're not alone. You're not. So that's not what we're talking about this morning, but I need to get that out there. But I think we all struggle in some ways with our self-image and with self-esteem and with, with, with believing in ourselves and understanding ourselves and, and being at peace 
with who we are. Now, I'm not saying everyone struggles with depression. I know not everyone struggles with clinical depression or not everyone struggles with, with mental illness. But all of us at some point or another have battles within ourselves understanding ourselves and why we do what we do. And, and man, I wish I was different. Man, I wish I was some other way. I wish I was built differently. I wish I was designed differently. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, the reality is our brains have been distorted and twisted by this world we live in and by the life that we've lived. You know, I don't know if you know this, but brains are like silly putty. They're like, they're like putty. They're very moldable and they're very shapeable. And everything we experience and everything we, um, we've been taught or we've been, that's been modeled for us in life has shaped our brain in a certain way. Especially in childhood, especially young childhood. Lori and I were, um, were discussing that we, we, you know, it was really fun actually uh, having her do her, her undergrad and her master's degree while we were married because I learned a lot about psychology <laughs> helping her study. <laughs> but uh, so we, we talk a lot about these things and, and we were talking the other day, there was an article that I read in New York Times and the title of the, argument, uh, the, title of the article I read was, Yes, It Is Your Parents' Fault. <laughs> but the article was talking about attachment theory and, and the idea that, that um, uh, you know, how the, the, the way we become attached to our primary caregivers, our parents, when we're very young, has such a profound impact on who we are for the rest of our lives. Because our brains are just moldable and they're shapeable and all these things mold us and shape us into who we are, both for good and for bad. And that continues on throughout our life. It's most powerfully at work in our childhood, but it continues on throughout our life. And everything, our, the friends we have, the people we hang, the, the places we live, the culture we live in, all of these things shape who we are and turn us into what we are today. And sometimes that's a great thing and sometimes it's a bad thing. Actually, it's a good thing and a bad thing all at the same time for all of us. Now, granted, in some cases, it works out worse than others. You know, one of the things that's been in the news lately is the, the trial and, and sentencing of Dylan Roof, the young man who shot so many people there in the church in North Carolina. And the thing is, is that, you know, some people look at that and go, well, he's just evil. Now, he's just like you and me. He has been shaped by his culture, by his upbringing, by his experiences, by the life that he's led, by his parents, by all these things. I'm not saying what he's done isn't, isn't evil and isn't, isn't awful and doesn't deserve punishment, but understand, he's no different than you or I. We've all been shaped and distorted by the world that we live in and by the life that we've led. You know, some people in this world have a very inflated self-image, they think very highly of themselves. You know, the first person that comes to mind on this is our president-elect. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not a political statement. This is not a political statement. No matter what you think of our president-elect's politics and policies, one thing I think we can all agree on, he does not have self-esteem problems. <laughs> he knows all the best words. He knows all the best people. And he doesn't, he's never done anything that needs forgiveness. 
I'm just saying things that have come out of his mouth. So don't misunderstand. This is not political. I'm not making a political statement. He's someone who believes in himself without question. You know, and and sometimes, you know, you maybe have experienced people like that in your life. People that absolutely believe that they are always right. And they are the best example of of whatever they are. You know, I think of, uh, how many of you watched like early seasons of American Idol? Do you remember William Hung? Okay, you've heard, you know who I'm talking about, right? William Hung, she bangs. Oh, no, you know, she doesn't. No, no, she doesn't. But he believed he was a great singer. Or that there's a movie out right now that, I, that I've seen, uh, the Florence Foster Jenkins, and probably only a few of us have seen this movie, but it's, it's the same idea, it's only it's, you know, a couple of generations before William Hung, just somebody who, who had a terrible voice, but boy, they thought they were the greatest. We, we, we know people like this and, and that's, you know, we experience that, but I think most of us tend to struggle on the other side of the equation. Most of us, I think, tend to struggle on the other side of, of self-image and especially Christians because, you know, we're, you know, if you've grown up in the church, you've, you've kind of been conditioned to think you suck. And, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's true. We've kind of been conditioned to think that we're, we're, we're bad or we're, we're less than. And so, but I think all of us, the most of us, I think, have, have more struggles with, with negative self-image than we do have a, an overinflated self-image. But some people really, really, really struggle with this. And I, I go back to Lori and some of the patients and some of the stories that she comes back with and, you know, the pictures she shows me of, of, of just bloody arms, you know, or, oh, this patient is in the hospital because they tried to commit suicide or, or just the, 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 the things that, that the ramifications of poor self-image and poor, uh, that internal conflict that we all deal with, it's just, it's, it's awful. And let me tell you something, folks. The, the prevailing wisdom is that, well, all you need is to, just to believe in yourself. Just have a positive self-image. Just think positive. Well, no, that's not the solution. It's not the solution to go to the other extreme and just believe you're always right. That's not the solution because we need to be self-aware. Sometimes we need to be self-critical. Sometimes we need to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, you suck and you need to change. Sometimes we need that. There needs to be a balance, but we need to not have a self-image that's damaging us. So how do we find that? Because the reality is, folks, we really are two different people, all of us. We don't have multiple personalities, but we are really two different people. We are simultaneously the person that God created us to be and the person that sin has turned us into. We are simultaneously both of those people. And the conflict comes from the fact that those two people are not the same. So that's what we're gonna look at this morning. We're gonna look at how to resolve that conflict and how to have a healthy, healthy self-image. So let's pray and let's get into it. God, thank you for this time that we have this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and to, and, to, and to study your word and to hear your voice and to allow your Holy Spirit to transform our perspective. 
God, I pray this morning that you'll give me the words to speak and that you'll give everyone else the ears to hear what you have to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Sam opened us up last week talking about uh, this com- concept of the imago dei, or that's a Latin phrase that means the image of God. And he talked about us being created in the image of God and, and how Genesis talks about that and, and what it means to be created in the image of God. And as Sam said, this, is a, this has been a debate that has flowed over centuries of what it means, what that phrase means to be created in the image of God. And of course, there's varying opinions on this, but I like to I like to summarize it this way. To be created in the image of God means that we are created to be the physical representation of God on earth. That was God's intention when he created us. For us to be his physical representation on earth, his representative, his ambassador, his, his, his right hand, as it were, to take care of his creation. That's what the image of God represents. That's what God created us to be. And let's, let's think about this for a second. We were created by God to be the perfect image, the perfect representation of him on this earth. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. Matter of fact, it says this in Genesis chapter one. It says, God saw everything he made and it was supremely good. Supremely good. You're included in that statement. You're included in that statement. You are created as supremely good. When God designed you, when God created you, when God imagined you and, and shaped you and formed you, he looked at you and said, that is some good stuff. That is good stuff. That is exactly what I wanted. That's what God created. Because God's perfect, right? God is whole. God doesn't, doesn't mess up. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't go, whoops, <laughs> wasn't my best work. God doesn't do that. When God makes something, it's perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. Some of you may have heard the phrase, God don't make no junk, right? Have you had a grandmother or something that has said, God don't make no junk? I had a grandmother that said, God don't make no junk. I didn't know she was actually quoting this this 20s blues singer uh, by the name of Ethel Waters. Ethel Waters used to say this all the time. She says, I am somebody because God don't make no junk. So, wow, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Because God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. And guess what? God made you. God made you. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. He made you and he looked at it and he said, that is good. That's good. That's good stuff. The reality is, is that there's a gospel, there's a, a version of the message of Jesus that's, that's taught in some areas, in some circles, that says that, you know, we're all worthless, depraved, pond scum, awful, terrible, worthless worms who deserve punishment and torture and hell forever. But if we beg God for mercy, he won't torture us forever. 
Folks, that's not it. And you know, Sam jokes about this, you know, the whole Wayne's World thing. Oh, we're not worthy. We're scum. We're suck. Oh, we're... That's not how God looks at us. He doesn't look at us and go, oh, those awful, oh, man. I can't wait until I just can burn them so good. Because they just, oh, they're, they're terrible. But that one asked for forgiveness, so I guess I'll... Move them to the other pool. That's not how God works, folks. That's not what the scripture teaches. Scripture does not teach that we're awful, terrible, terrible. That scripture teaches that we're made in the image of God. And we are supremely good in God's view. The real good news, the real gospel, the real message of Jesus is this. We are God's loved creations. We are his loved children, made in his image, who have been distorted by sin. Distorted by sin. And he longs, longs to restore us to what he always intended for us to be. Folks, that's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. That is what Jesus came to do, to take these wonderful, perfect creations of God that have been distorted by sin and say, I want to I take you back to what you were intended to be. I want to take you back to what you were created to be. He wants to restore us. He wants to, to fix what sin has broken before sin completely destroys us. That's very important for us to understand. That is the good news of the gospel. So understand this, and I want want you to hear this really well. Sin infects us. Sin distorts us. Sin twists us. Sin breaks us, but sin does not define us. Let me say that again. Sin infects us, it distorts us, it twists us, it messes us up, but it doesn't define us. It doesn't define who we are. You know, a lot of people love the phrase, well, I'm, and I do this with a southern accent, I'm sorry. Well, I'm, so, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And I understand the intention behind that phrase. And I don't want to sound like I'm mocking the phrase because, because there is truth there. But folks, Sin doesn't define you. You are not a sinner in the sense that it is not what you were created to be. It is not who you are at the core. You are a sinner because you sin, but it doesn't define who you are. And this is really important. This is really important. In fact, most of you, if you know Lori, you know, everybody thinks Lori is the sweetest, most gentle, most loving, most... Just, just, just never says a, a mean word, never raises her voice, right? Am I right? Those of you who know Lori, sweet as, okay. <clears throat> I'm married to her, so I know that. <laughs> but if you want to see Lori's bad side, I'll give you an idea. Walk through a Target or Meyer or a grocery store when you run into a parent with a small child and that, parent, and that child may be acting up some and that parent says to that child, oh, you're a bad boy. You will see flames coming out of Lori's eyes because that is the worst thing you can say to a kid. You're a bad boy. What are you telling that kid? That's who you are. You are bad. 
I want you to act differently, but you, no, 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 no. It's a, it's a very different thing to say to a child, you're not acting the way I want you to and saying, you are bad. It's a very different thing. So those of you who are young parents, little parenting advice. <laughs> In fact, I heard it said one time, I think it was some pastor, it might've been Rob Bell, I think, said, said when his kids were acting up, he said, listen, that's not how bells act. That's not how, our, that's not how you act. That's not you, how you're behaving right now. Because that's true. Sin doesn't define us. It twists us, it distorts us, but it doesn't define who we are. So, uh, some of you have, who are sinners like me <laughs> have probably seen the movie Kill Bill 2, right? Kill Bill 2, I love this movie. I love, I love God forgive me, I love this movie. But at the, end of, at the end of the movie, there's this great monologue by Bill, the, the, the villain. And Bill talks about Superman. You know what I'm talking about? Those of you who have seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Because Bill talks about comic book, comic book heroes and how all the comic book heroes, you know, Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne, but he puts on a costume to become Batman. Or, or different, you know, Iron Man, is, it's really Tony Stark, but he puts on a suit of armor and he becomes Iron Man. He says, but Superman's different. Because Superman is Superman. He wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. He was created as Superman. He has to put on the glasses and the suit to become Clark Kent. So it's different. And this is, and this is hang with me here because it's a weird analogy. But this is what it means. Folks, you were not created to be this destroyed, twisted, sin infected person that you feel like you are. That's not who you are. You were created to be Superman. Sin just put glasses on you and turned you into Clark Kent. All right, I know it's, it's a stretch, but, but you, know, you, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> but that leads us to another distortion that we hear sometimes. Let me explain it this way. Sin, the word sin gets thrown around a lot. And we, in churches, we use it a lot, and we should. Because sin's a, sin's a problem, and sin's a very important thing for us to understand and for us to overcome. But let me, under, let me explain this. Sin is not breaking rules. Sin is not breaking rules. That's not what the definition of the word sin is. Sin is not about breaking rules. Sin is about breaking Shalom. Let me say that again. Sin is not about breaking rules. It's about breaking shalom. It's about messing with God's perfect intention for us. The word literally, the the Hebrew word for sin, uh, literally means missing the mark. That's the literal translation of the word sin in Hebrew, is missing the mark. So what it means is, is God intends you for the, God created you to be his image and you missed it, and that's sin. Sin is breaking shalom. Sin is messing with God's perfect design. God created you to be someone, and you missed it. That's what sin is, and that's what causes all this internal conflict inside of us, because we were created to be the image of God. We were created to be Superman, as it were. We were created to be God's representative on earth, and we're not. We're not, because sin has twisted us. Sin has, sin has marred us. Sin has broken 
what God intended to be perfect. And so that's where the conflict comes from. That's where we constantly fight with ourselves. When we don't live up to what God designed us to be. You know, anytime you use something the wrong way, it never turns out well, you know? Guys, you know, if you ever tried, you ever tried, you know, you got a, you got a Phillips head screw to unscrew, but all you've got is a flathead screwdriver. How well does that work out? Not too well, right? Or you've got a nail you got to put in, but you don't have a hammer, so you try to use the back end of the screwdriver to hammer in the nail. Ouch. When something isn't used the way it's intended to be used, there's a problem. There's a problem. God has designed, and this is true in all things. You know, it's like, it's like William Hung was not created by God to be a professional singer. That was not God's design for him. And it was painful to see him violate God's design. <laughs> painful for us. But this is where the conflict comes from. Because Paul writes in Romans chapter seven, he says, I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. We all feel that. We all experience that all the time, all the time. So I'm gonna give you three things this morning real quick and I'm wrapping up here. But the, to see our true selves, to have a, a, a healthy self-image, self a healthy understanding of who we are, to see our true self, we've got to look at Jesus. That's how it works. To see your, and that seems weird. You know, it's like, well, to see my true self, I need to look in a mirror. No, to tr see your true self, you need to look at Jesus. You need to look at Jesus. Because number one, in Jesus, we see who God intended for us to be. Second Corinthians chapter three says this, the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. All of us are looking with unveiled faces at the glory of the Lord, as if we were looking in a mirror. We are being, able, we are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. This comes from the Lord, who is spirit. It says, we look at Jesus, it's like we're looking in a mirror. Richard Rohr talks about this, it's great. He's, he talks about it as a two-way mirror. When we look at God, when we look at Jesus, we're looking at a two-way mirror. Because on the one hand, we see Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see Jesus. But on the other hand, when we look at Jesus, we see the real us, because he reflects back at us what he sees. It's like those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. Because if you're having that, those great times with your spouse and you look into the eyes of your spouse and you're not feeling so great about yourself, but you look at your spouse and they look back at you with that, I love you so much, look. And you go, huh, I feel... No good, but they think I'm great. You know what I'm talking about? That look you get, that look you get from your spouse or from your significant other that says, yeah, I think you're awesome. That's what Jesus does. 
He looks at us and he reflects back to us our perfect image. He reflects back to us that image of ourselves that we were created to be. The us that he sees when he looks at us. But the other reason, the second reason why we need to look at Jesus to see ourselves is by looking at Jesus, we see how we've missed it. If we look all at ourselves, maybe our our self-image gets a little inflated and we think, well, maybe we're too good for our, too big for our britches, as my grandmother used to say. But when we look at Jesus, we see the ways in which we've broken shalom, where we've missed the mark, where we haven't quite lived up to the image that we were created to be. Romans chapter 12 says, don't think of yourselves Uh, Don't think you are better than you really are. Uh, Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Now I want you to be, I want to be very clear here. When he says measuring ourselves by the faith God has given us, he's not saying measure ourselves by how much faith you have. Faith is not something you measure by volume. It's not something you have a little or an amount of, and some people have more or less. When he says measuring ourselves by the faith God has given us, he's saying measuring ourselves through the eyes of faith. Look at ourselves honestly through the eyes of the faith that God has given us. And the third thing is this. In Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we're empowered to be recreated. See, you can't do it on your own. Overcoming sin is not about self-discipline. It's not. It's not about, oh, I gotta do better next time. Darn it. That's not how it works. Only the creator can repair the creation. Only the creator can repair the creation. Back to 2 Corinthians, this time in chapter five, it says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. You become like those you love. And the more you get to know Jesus and the more you spend your life in relationship with Jesus and the tighter you become with Jesus, the more you're gonna become like him. That's how it works. That's how it works in marriage. Have you ever seen a married couple that's been married for like decades and decades? Like, no, we're not gonna talk about that. I'm coming up on 29 years. And you start to become like your spouse. That's how it works. That's how love works. You start to become like the thing you love. Well, folks, if you wanna become more like Jesus, Spend more time with him. Get close and he'll take care of it. That's how it works. The guys are gonna lead us in a couple more songs before we go, but we come together here in this place not because church is the place that teaches us how to be a better person. That's not what church is about. Church is about coming together so that we can see and know Jesus better.
we come to this place so that we can get a clearer vision of who Jesus is, so that we can deepen our relationship, our intimacy with Jesus, so that he can take care of all those broken things that sin has broken. And to truly know Jesus, you've got to spend time with his people, with his body. That's how we get to know him better. So I encourage you this morning as we sing a couple more songs, spend some time just in the presence of Jesus. Look at him. Spend some time looking into that two-way mirror and let him tell you who you really are and who he intends you to be. Thank you for listening to the Central Church Podcast. We hope this has encouraged you, challenged you, and that you experience true life change. Make sure you head over to iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. And to keep up with everything happening in our faith community, visit centralchurch.cc.